along those lines, we are starting to put together um, the outline of what it will look like to take a team down there, hopefully this sometime this year. Uh, Brother Ted is working on that, and so you'll hear more information on that, of taking people down, a group down to minister in that community. Um, you have to sign a waiver, but <laughs> uh, but no, we've been down there many times. I've taken my wife and children down there. Uh, Fernando's a wonderful man. He was um, a gangbanger illegally in the United States, was arrested for the third time in Fresno, raised without a father. So the gangs grabbed a hold of him and was raised in uh, Fresno. His third offense, they said, you're going to jail or we're going to deport you. He said, deport me. They put him across the border. He wandered around the streets and ran into Ebenezer Bible Church. This is many years ago. And he said, I knew I could get food from them and they would be kind to me, but I thought their love was fake. And he said, I'd leave it and I'd come back and I'd leave it and come back, but their love for me was so genuine that I wanted to know who this Jesus was who loved them. And there, over time, he came to know the Lord Jesus Christ as a savior. And uh, now, many years later, he's the pastor there. And uh, he's a fascinating man. He, he won't be visiting us anytime soon <laughs> um, because we can't get him into the United States. Um, <laughs> but isn't that amazing? So, so don't be quick to judge what God does sometimes. He works in amazing ways to bring people to himself. This morning in Missions Prayer, some of you were there, uh, Pastor Ted shared the testimony of Bruce, this now another pastor elder that's on staff with him there. Um, and made, I, my hair literally stood on the back of my neck as he was telling in Spanish and, and Fernando was um, translating it when we were down there. Is raised in witchcraft, started a church of Satan. <laughs> I mean, it's amazing and God saved him. And uh, what a dynamic young man. Oh, is he a good preacher and great things going on down there. So we wanted to play that for you to let you know that um, we are engaging. Grace Bible Church is engaging in missions around the world. Will you join us in that? We're not just putting something up on the wall and saying, hey, look what we do. We want to go. We want to send. So these are important to us. All right, well, why don't you stand with me? Let's read our text for this morning. Psalms 96, take your Bible. I want to preach these 13 verses this morning. And uh, what a great missions text this is uh, of how to go to the nation. So follow along as I read in the Psalms 96, 1 through 13. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord his name. Proclaim good tidings of his salvation from day to day. Tell of his glory among the nations, his wonderful deeds among the, all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the people are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord glory of his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in holy attire. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. We just sang that. Indeed, the world is firmly established and it will not be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the, let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar in all that it contains. Let the field exult in all that is in it. Then all the trees of the forest will sing for joy. Behold the Lord, for he is coming, for he is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. You may be seated. Father, it's very clear that you have a plan for all the world to worship you. We see very clearly they're not doing that yet, Lord. The greater percentage of all the world denies you, Lord. In fact, pulls very hard against your truths and your ways, Lord. But Father, you are encircled above the earth. All the earth is yours, Lord. And there will be a day where all peoples, all walks of life will bend the knee to you, Lord. 
But Father, we want to be involved with the process of those peoples coming to know you. We do not want to be a church that merely talks about going and talks about sending. Father, we want to be sent and we want to go and we want to be a part of your calling of these nations, Lord. So Father, please open our eyes to missions greater today, true, biblical, Christ-centered, God-exalting missions, Lord. And may we do our part. Lord, may in the end of the day when we lay our head down, Lord, may we pray for the kingdom to come so we will see these nations before your throne, Lord. And we'll give you glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Psalm 96 is an amazing psalm, as you heard, as I just read here. It, it's a powerful psalm. When I shared it with Darren this week and sent it over to him that we were going to be preaching missions out of this, he said, song after song just started to fill his mind, because as, as you heard me read that, can't you hear so many songs that we sing, don't you? So many truths come out of this text. It, it is an amazing text. But it is lying in a context itself. And remember, we always teach in our hermeneutic classes and our study that the context is king. So we want to understand, first of all, how this was written, why it was written, and what it was a part of. So, with that said, Psalms 96 lies most likely in 1 Chronicles chapter 16. Now, let me, for the sake of time, tell you about that passage. David is bringing the Ark of the Covenant back into Jerusalem. It is an amazing time. The Philistines had taken the ark. They had had much problems from it. (laughs) It didn't go well with them having the ark for them. The ark's returned and David is bringing it back into Jerusalem. And he breaks out into praise and song like never before. In fact, when you see David's excitement, he throws off all the kingly protocol as a king normally would have. And he dances before the Lord as he comes into Jerusalem. He had a wife that wasn't so much a lover of God and was despised by his dancing. You remember that. But David didn't care. (laughs) He loved his God. And he wanted all people to know the God of Israel was the God of all the earth. And that all people, so this is where we get this missions idea, all people should bow before the God of all creation, the God of Israel. And he breaks into song. If you read Psalm 16 and go farther into it, much of this Psalms, uh, Psalms um, 105, Psalms 106 is part of that, and pieces and places all over the Psalms come out of that day when David sang before the Lord. And the people cried out and worshiped God in a, in a complete surrender to his glory as the, as the ark came back in. The key thought when you think of this passage, particularly in Chronicles 16 and, and then in this text in Psalms 96, is that David wanted the world to know God. You just see it all over in this text. Tell of his glory among the nations. He says this over and over. David wanted the world to know God. Do you? I, I mean, it's, you can't read this and not think missions. He wanted to proclaim to the nations the salvation of God. We'll see that as we go down through this passage. David wanted all nations to adore God, to worship him. You know that time when you got saved. You know that time when we come to church and your heart is blended with the scriptures and and you've, you've confessed sins and you're right with the Lord and church is powerful. There's other times when church isn't that powerful because your, your thoughts are full of selfishness, you're at war with your spouse, you're, you're struggling at work and not giving things to God, and so church sometimes just is, you know, you just got through it. But you know those times where you're right with God and, and the word of God pierces your heart as you hear it preached, and this, every song was like he picked them out for you. Many times you've come up to me and said, were you watching me this week? Because I think you were talking about my marriage or me or something. So that's at times when your heart is contrite to the Lord, broken and hearing the word of God. David wants that kind of adoration towards God for the world to experience that, even to his enemies, even to those who sought to kill him, even to those who, who disagreed with the nation of Israel. He wanted them to know his God. That's missions. 
David also wanted to warn the nations that such a judge coming. And he's gonna judge the world in righteousness. And we're gonna see that in this text as well. And so here in this Psalms 96, these 13 verses that, that through time we gave numbers to here, is this poetic nature of the Spirit of God leading David to sing new songs to the Lord, to proclaim his glory so that those around the world would hear the good news, the good tidings that God has for the nations. Well, I want to break it down into four thoughts this morning. I think the points will be up behind me. I'm in there in your bulletin as well. First of all, his glory proclaimed to the nations. First of all, his glory proclaimed to the nations. Look at verse one with me. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. What a great song. He says it over and over. Sing a new song. Sing to the Lord. Sing all the earth. Sing. Worship. Proclaim. Speak. Sing to the Lord. This, this new song is not coming from something David had accomplished. He's not saying, look what I have accomplished. Look what God has done. It, it, good music is written to help us understand, when we sing those words, to understand what God has done. He is Jesus, Lord of all. I mean, we, it, it teaches us those things. Sing that new song to the Lord. David wants the nations to hear a new song. Not some archaic song of their gods that cannot speak and cannot hear and cannot move. He wants them to hear about the God of Israel. Now think about what was going on here. The new thing that's happening here, this new thing to sing about, is the ark has come into Jerusalem. You remember the Ark of Covenant, right? Gold plated, has cherubim sitting on top, their wings reach out and they tip each other. And it's said that the holiness of God would reside between the ark, between those angels, those archangels, as the cherubim wings would, and, that, and would it be the keeper, in a sense, of the holiness of God. So in essence, here's what David's saying. It's worth singing because God's now in Israel. God's here. The Ark of the Covenant to them represented the glory of God and it was put in the temple and, and the temple filled, the glory of God filled the temple and his glory came and resided between those cherubim. It's fascinating. He, he's saying the world's never saw this stuff. They, they fall down before these pieces of wood and, and rock that don't do anything. And he says, our God fills the temple. And this is a new song to sing See, the ark represented that God was with them. And it showed them that he's holy and he's just and he's deserving of worship. He's gracious and kind. And most importantly, God was their salvation. Look at verse two. Sing to the Lord. Bless his name. Proclaim good tidings of his salvation from day to day. Boy, that's worth singing about, huh? Proclaim his salvation day to day. Now let's put the a little more crystal-centric understanding to this. For us, we look at the scriptures. Jesus said in Luke 24 that all of the scriptures point to him. Moses, the law, the prophets, the Psalms all talk about him. And so when we look at the Ark of the Covenant, and though it was there to remind them and where God resided, it reminds us of who Christ is. He resides in the most holy of holies, the Lord Jesus Christ. He alone is the one who could go before the Father. He's just, he's deserving of worship. He is gracious and kind. And he leads his people. Remember when they went out, the nation went out, what would lead them out? The priest and the ark. He led the nation. And so for us, we look at this and we go, well, how does this represent us, this, this ark? It's Jesus Christ. It is all the glory of God exposed to us. And he leads his people. Christ is the head of the... Thank you. He's the head of the church. He leads us. If he's not here, we shouldn't be here. We go with him. He is the head of it, and he's worth declaring to the nations. Look at verse 2 again. Salvation from day to day. I want you to think about this. 
You sing a new song when you go to work and you are excited that God saved you. Now, I know work is difficult at times and it's pressing and your mind is consumed with things, but we should preach the gospel to ourselves each and every day and we should remind ourselves that salvation is given to us not only at a point in time when we were saved, but salvation is daily. He not only saved us, he keeps us saved and will keep us in his presence forever. Sing a new song. Sing about your salvation. Sing about the glory of of the Lord. See, when you think about Christ leading the church, you can't help but think about commands that he gave. Go into all the nations. Make disciples. So I put the verse up there. The Lord said that. Go into all the world and make disciples. In fact, he says... Um, you shall be my witnesses in Acts chapter 1. My witnesses, Jesus Christ, both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. And see, it just rhymes here. He's telling, verse 3 in our text says, tell his glory among the nations. Jesus says as he departs his last words to, to the disciples and thus to us are be my witnesses, Jesus says, to Jerusalem, to Judea, Samaria, and even to the remotest parts of the world. Tell a new song. Go tell the nations who I am. Sing to me. See, this is the job of the church. Tell the nations. See, God displayed his glory constantly to the nation. He wanted people to be captured by who he was. Remember Moses in Acts 33 and 34? Um, earlier, he has come down and he's found the nation worshiping a golden calf. They basically said, well, he's been up there 40 days. There's lightning, smoke, he's toast. Aaron, get us something that we can worship. So he says, remember, he says, give us your gold rings and all that. And they form a golden calf, golden bull calf, exactly what it was in the Hebrew. And it's one of the Egyptian gods. And they start to worship that. And here comes Moses off the mountain, right? And this people of God, he spent time on this mountain getting the Ten Commandments, getting instruction for the tabernacle, getting instruction for the priesthood. He's been up there with God. And he comes down in the nations worshiping the God of the nation that God just destroyed. And what does he do with the tablets? Smashes them. And he's, he's dismayed. He goes down and rebukes. There's, there's judgment that hits the nation and then he goes back on the mountain. I think I count it 17 times he goes up and down that mountain when you study the text. He goes back up and he is absolutely dismayed with what God has asked him to do. And he asks God one thing, he says, show me your glory. I I've been there. <laughs> I've been dismayed and said, God, I need to know that you have really called me to do this. I, want, I mean, you've been there, ever been there in life? Marriage, raising kids, having jobs, staying in the fight, knowing that Jesus is your Lord, staying in there. And that's what Moses is going through. His family's falling apart down the hill, man. And he says, show me your glory. And you remember what he does? He says, you can't see my face and live. So he puts him in the cleft of the rocks and in the Exodus 34 puts his hand over and passes by. And you remember what he sees. And the Lord said, when he passed by to him, he, the Lord said, the Lord God will pass by you and you will see this of me. This is how he relates it to it. That I'm compassionate, I'm gracious, I'm slow to anger, abounding in, in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquities, transgressions, and sins, yet he will not by no means leave the guilty unpunished. That is the glory of God. And I've said this a million times. I said, Moses didn't come back and say, well, he's kind of tall, stately, white-haired man. He said, he is gracious. He's compassionate. He is slow to anger. Wow. Isn't that our Lord? Isn't that the beauty of Jesus Christ? Hanging on a Christ cross? And, and there, the, the killers of Christ are mocking him? You've saved others? Why don't you get off the cross and save yourself? Mocking him openly. And what does he say? 
Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. See, we see the glory of God in Christ. They saw the glory of God in the Ark of the Covenant. We see the glory of God in Christ. We behold the glory of God in the face of the Lord Jesus Christ, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We see his glory. John said it this way, the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we saw the glory, the glory of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. John says, look, when Jesus came to the earth, we now saw God. See, that's what we tell the nations. That's what we tell the nations. God has visited the earth. He's come and he's understood, seen through the second person of the Trinity of Jesus Christ. And we tell the nations of his glory. We tell them of who he is. See, this is salvation. David sees that in God. Though there wasn't a Christ yet, there wasn't the name Jesus yet, he saw that God was the salvation of all peoples and he wanted the nations to know. And it's hard because you look at the wars that went on and David, remember David comes in with Saul one day and they say Saul has killed his hundred, but David is ten thousand, his thousands, right? Saul didn't like that much. So he was a man of war because God told him to go do things and he had to, he, he was God's agent to snuff out evil and things like that. But yet he still had a burden for the nations to know God. It just relates so much with me. I mean, I, I, mean, I watch the news just like you. The world's going to hell in a handbasket, isn't it? Excuse the phrase. I mean, things are falling apart left and right. We won't, we won't dare use certain words from certain officials because we're afraid to use words that could denote some kind of response to terrorism. We're in a, we're in a difficult spot. And yet... And yet, we were reminded in missions prayer today that we have people around the world right in the heart of the Muslim movement preaching the gospel and people are getting saved. And our funds and the things we stuff in boxes and sending people to go preach and help there every once in a while are supporting that. Go tell the nations. I don't have time for this, but it's in my notes. I, I'll just review it very quickly with you. Remember in Revelations 5, it's the picture before the, the nations are now before the, the throne. And Jesus, the lamb, comes from the middle of his throne. He says, I looked and I, I saw a lamb, I saw the lion, but, but then I looked closer, he's a lamb slain. And, and then it says, and we sang a new song. Right, right how to hear. Sing a new song to the Lord. It's, it's again visited in, in Revelation chapter 5. And, and you know that text, we, worthy is the lamb who was slain. See, this is what we tell the nations. There's a lamb who was slain. See, it's new to them. They don't know there's a lamb slain for them. They believe in the rock idol. They, they believe in offering children. They need to know there's a lamb there's a lamb who died for them. Sing a new song. Proclaim him to the nations. Number two, his deeds told to the nations. Look at chapter um, 96, 3b, the following part, the, the last part of three here. His wonderful deeds among them. Tell of his wonderful deeds among them. Verse four, for great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the people are idols. But the Lord has made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Look at the first, the latter part of verse three. Missions is sharing the greatness of God. Is he great to you? Is God great to you? Think about that. I'm asking you personally, is God great to you? Take it a little farther. Is Christ absolutely great to you? That's what he wants shared. Tell of the nations. See, I think so often we think evangelism is us being smart enough and clever enough to out-talk somebody out of their views and talk them into our views. 
because we're in a political world, right? That is not evangelism. God has never asked you personally to save anybody. Has he? And how foolish for us to think that because how can you save them? You are to tell them of the greatness of your God. He will open their hearts and their minds to it. It takes a lot of pressure off, folks, when you realize that's my job, to tell them of my greatness of my God and my Savior. Can I tell you today at lunchtime of who I believe in and and why I think he's great? They may not want to have lunch with you for a little while, but they may want to think about it for a little bit. And at least they're going to go, I knew that guy was different. Or that gal seems to be so loving to people. And now I know they think this Jesus Christ is the greatest thing ever. See, that's missions. That's what missions is. Tell of the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Tell of his wonderful deeds. Tell them. Tell them that you're an adopted son of God now. Tell them that you stand holy and blameless before the Lord. And, and you can say, look, you know me. You see that I'm sinful and I do things. I'm, I'm cranky sometimes when I come to work. You see that. But Jesus has done a great work and he's washed me and I'm holy and blameless before the Lord. See, can you tell them that? See, that's missions. That's what our missionaries do. That's what Fernando's doing in Tijuana. He's telling them of the greatness of God. Notice the contrast in verse 5. For all the deeds of the peoples are idols. Verse 4, the Lord's great. He's to be feared above all gods. But verse 5, all their gods of the people are idols. Actually, the Hebrew word is not translated very well. It's a little more difficult. He says it, it has the idea of non-existence. So it's a word for idols, but they're they're, they're fake, they're real, they're not, they're not real, they're just non-existent. They're inanimate objects, they're just, there's nothing to them is the idea of the Hebrew word. So what he's trying to say, but the Lord made the heavens. You have a real God, he made the heavens, they have nothing gods, and you need to tell them about the real God. I mean, that's what he's telling us. I mean, I think at this point, he's thinking about the Philistines who had the Ark of the Covenant in their, in their, in their um, presence. And you remember what happened? They had those, their gods, um, oh, the name of it just went on my mind. Every morning they'd get up and their god was falling over on their face before the Ark. They'd prop them back up and, oh, hmm. Yeah, that happened. Next morning they'd come out, poof. Who do you think is doing that? Many of the psalmists say, your gods have eyes, but they cannot see. They have ears, but they cannot hear. They're non-existent. But let me tell you, most of the world believe in dead gods. You have a great God. He made the heavens and the earth. He is full of splendor and majesty before him. I mean, you just imagine what he sits in. Angels singing, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. See, it's almost robbery to hide this from the world, isn't it? It's robbery to hide it from your coworkers. Jesus said, don't take the light and put a bushel under it, over it. See, this is what it comes out. And that's what we do with missions. That's who we're looking for with missions, who are willing to do those things. And missions has an amazing amount of things. Clark's son and daughter-in-law fly planes to get missionaries in and out of places. I thought about them this week as I prayed through missionaries that I know. Into deep jungles where people are hearing of the gospel the very first time, someone's willing to go in there and try to put that thing down on some dirt strip in order to get missionaries into places to tell them of the greatness of God. I have to show you one passage out of Isaiah chapter 41. This is an amazing text of the difference between God and those who fall down. 
Clarks, I remember some real dear friends of mine that were in Papua New Guinea for a lot of the years, Gene and I's friends, boys about the same our age. They would tell me the stories of their gods. They believed when the wind blew, the spirits and the gods were mad. So they would go live in their huts till the wind quit blowing. They spent, he said they spent over their half their life in their huts because they believed that that was the anger of their gods. So they came along and said, no, God sends wind to the earth to cool it. And there's a real God and he sent you a savior. And, and they quit worshiping those stupid false gods. It's a beautiful thing. But look, this has not been new. This is not new. This is what's been going on. Look at Isaiah chapter 41, verse 21. God speaking through Isaiah, there's a little bit of tongue in cheek going on here. He says, present your case, the Lord says. Bring forward your strong arguments. The king of Jacob says, let them bring forth and declare to us what is going to take place. He's talking about their dead gods. Let your gods tell us what's going to happen. Because Isaiah is a book of prophecy of 150 years to come to the exact what happened. God tells the nations what's going to happen. So Isaiah says, have your gods tell us what's going to happen in the future. It's a little tongue in cheek going on here. As for the former events, declare what they were. Okay, you can't do the future. Can they tell us about the past? Silence. Nothing there. That we may consider them and know their outcomes or announce to us what is coming. Declaring the things that are going to come full afterwards that we may know that you are God. Indeed, good or evil that that we may anxiously look about us and fear together. And he says this, behold, you are of no account and your works, your work amounts to nothing. He who chooses you is an abomination. I think Isaiah is getting to the point there. The nation is falling down before metal images to the point where they burn their babies in them. And here the prophet says, come out, tell us like our God. Our God tells us what's going to happen. Our God tells us about the past, how he created the heavens and the earth and how he's bringing salvation to the world. What is your God's doing? They're deaf and they're silent. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 8, 4, we know that there is no such thing as any idol in the world and there is no one but God, period. Look at verse six with me, back in Psalms 96. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. I've been in I've been in the Kali Temple in India. Many of you have heard me tell this. A bunch of dead gods in cages with people cutting themselves and wailing, lying in blood of bulls and and animals, trying to get their gods to recognize them. Look at our God. Splendor and majesty are before him. I walked into the palace of their gods and there's widows laying in the ground, rolling around in the blood because they don't exist because their husbands died in Hinduism. There's people stacked this deep high trying to touch gods within these cages. No splendor, no glory, no beauty. We have that in Jesus. And every time we hear the word preached, we see his glory and we see his splendor and we know he loves us because he came and died for us. And our missionaries are right out in the middle of that. Trying to tell people of the glories of God. I love verse 6. It's so contrary to verse 5. Your gods are non-existent. But our God is beauty. He's full of splendor and majesty. And if you haven't seen that, just look at your own salvation. He took a rank pagan, that's you and me, don't think anything different, that was hell-bound for eternity, and he changed our position. He made us sons and daughters of the king. We now are joint heirs with the Lord Jesus Christ. He has heaven waiting for us, guarded by God himself, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 5. If that's not splendor and glory to you, you're not saved. 
get saved and see his glory and be a part of what the Lord is doing. Third thought, his worship adorned to the nations. His worship adorned to the nations. This is the job of the church. This is what the church does. Verse seven, ascribe to the Lord all families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Verse eight, ascribe to the Lord glory of his name. Verse nine, worship the Lord in holy attire. Look at the terms that are given here. This is what we do. We ascribe to the Lord. We declare truth to God. I've told you many times here, when you sing and Darren and Ron lead you, it is your time to preach. This is when you preach. We don't all do this, but that's your time to preach. And, And the Bible tells us that missions is driven by the worship of God. Ascribe to the Lord. It's fascinating. When we go overseas, and we were down in Philippines not too many years, Ted and Wanda and Gary and Jan, and a bunch of us went down there. And they sing the same songs we sing. And they sing in Tagala, and we try to pronounce it along. But we go, we know that song. <laughs> And, and I thought, such an awesome responsibility of the American church because American, still 94% of all missions around the world comes from America. Do you know that? Now, let me tell you, a lot of the percentage is bad coming out of America. You know what's coming to the nations? Health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. Not the gospel of salvation. Not the gospel that we're sinners and we need Jesus to die for us. The gospel that's going around the world, which is not a gospel, is you're great, God really needs you. And if you just have enough faith, he's going to give you everything you need. Now, you live in a grass hut on the side of a rice field and hope to have enough rice to feed your family for that day. And somebody comes and lies to you that that's what gospel is. A lot of people believe that. And their songs all follow that kind of stuff. See, see, we as the church have to lead truth when we sing. That's why I tell our guys when we talk, when we have worship meetings, that you have such an important job, you put into our mouths words that we're going to say to God. And not only, after I read this, I thought, oh Lord, what we sing here often gets around the world. Examine things that are saying on Caleb and Air One. Make sure they're of God. Make sure they square with the scriptures. Because that stuff gets around the world. Ascribe to the Lord. Ascribe to the Lord. Worship the Lord. Uh, J. Um, Campbell Morgan said this. He said, If the song of the Lord begins in our heart, it will also grow in the chorus in which others are included in music. So, you pray for Darren and Ron. Because as, a God, as God stirs in their hearts and they lead us in song, God leads them, we join in that chorus. Now, we can get down and we can go to Mexico or India or Philippines or Taiwan or any place with our missionaries and we'll sing with them and they'll sing with us and, and you sing the exact same songs and we're joining in the same chorus and we're singing, we're ascribing to the Lord together. And that's what David's after here when you read this. He's worshiping the Lord. He's dancing in the streets. He's singing to the Lord. And he wants the nations to experience this. One of the, one of the great parts of missions that we don't often think of is our music ministry. And that's my point here. We have to be sound in what we sing and what we say and what we do because that's what's going to the missions. And we send qualified people to the field so that they lead these people around the world to see it. And see, David wanted the Philistines. He, he, he wanted the, um, the Hittites and Amorites. He, he wanted all the world to see and sing to the Lord and worship him. Let me just give you one more verse here. I, I stumbled across this on accident, kind of. Um, Psalms chapter 29. I was comparing scriptures where this was said in other places. If you just turn over Psalms 29, notice the verse two verses. 
What's it say there? Ascribe to the Lord. Second part of verse one, ascribe to the Lord. Um, third, second, uh, two, ascribe to the Lord. Look at the end of verse two. Worship the Lord in holy attire, holy array. I thought, Lord, Lord you've repeated this now at least twice within the scriptures. What's fascinating, and I, I, I kind of got sight, you know, us pastors will get a little rabbit trail sometimes. It cost me a little bit of time. But I started studying this psalm. <laughs> and you know what this psalm is about? It's about the angels singing to the Lord. It's about the holy ones, the sons of the mighty. That's a term, particularly in the Hebrew, that refers to the angels. And this is what I came up with. I thought, Lord, you're telling us, earthly children of yours, to sing the same way you're telling what? The angels to sing to you. Isn't that fascinating? Am I the only one in the room who thinks it's fascinating? I'm fascinated with angels. They're incredible beings, the ones that didn't fall and follow Satan. They worship God. Psalms 103 says they're in his presence to immediately obey him and to bring him worship, just automatically. And chapter 29 tells us how they worship. Chapter 29, 6 says, we do the same thing. Ascribe to the Lord his glory. He's calling the families of the earth just like he calls the angels to bring him worship and glory. And the holy attire, the holy array, I don't have time, I'm running out of time for this. That's your dress of when you're in his presence. Jesus says when he's rehearsing the marriage feast, that they find one person in the marriage feast and he's not dressed in wedding clothes and what do they do with that guy? Out he goes. Their wedding clothes are the righteousness of Christ. You come in the righteousness of Christ and sing to the Lord. And if you're saved today, you're dressed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And you sing in those clothes. You sing with that. Lord, I, I'm dressed rightly because you dressed me rightly. You gave me your righteousness. You took my sin and you, you were, that was imputed to you. And you took the righteousness of Jesus and you dressed me in his righteousness. And now I sing and I ascribe to the Lord in that holy attire. I could preach on that point for the cows come home. But I got to keep moving. Last thought, number four. His coming reveals to the nations. This is an amazing text in Psalms 96. I thought long and hard about this. And because he says in verse 10, say among the nations the Lord reigns. We just sang that song this morning. Our Lord reigns. David says that the nations need to know that God reigns. That's one of our jobs. There is one God. He sits encircled on the earth. Listen to this verse, Isaiah 40. Just write it down. We don't have time to turn there. 40 verse 21. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been declared to you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the world? He who sits above the circle of the earth. Can you see that in your mind's eye? He who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretches out the heavens like a curtain who spreads them out like a tent to dwell in them. He is who reduces rulers to nothing who makes judges of the earth meaningless. Oh, those Supreme Court judges. Be careful. There is a judge who will judge the judges. And he will judge in righteousness. And you see that as he goes down through the end of 10, he will judge the people in equity, in perfection is the idea of the Hebrew word. He'll judge perfectly. He'll judge in righteousness. Before Verse 13, before the Lord, for he is coming, for he is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness, the people in his faithfulness. One of the things we tell people on missions is there is a God. He has set Jesus Christ as Lord of all, and he's judge. Paul was telling Ted and I a funny story, not funny to him at the time. When he was in Congo, they arrested him twice and put him in jail. He said just because he was white and he looked like he had some money. 
And he said, they put him in jail and they wanted $400 to let him out. And Didier, who you'll meet in May, who's coming, said, this is distortion, this is wrong. And he started to argue with these policemen. And they got down to $50 to let him out. And finally they let him out and Paul goes, well, why'd you give him 50? And it was interesting what he said. He said, because the government doesn't pay them anything. He says, they're gonna starve if I didn't give them the $50. But this is what he said to them. When he was arguing with them, he said, you know what you're doing is wrong. And there is a God who will judge you. And he said the, the, prison, the guards or the policemen started arguing with one another in Swahili back and forth. He says, maybe he's right. Maybe there is a God that's going to judge us. <laughs> and they got down to 50 pretty quickly. <laughs> you know, we need to warn people. There's a God coming. His name is Jesus. Second Timothy says he will judge the world in righteousness, judge the living and the dead, Jesus. And those who have rejected him, those who live in their sins, they will stand before him. We need to warn people of that, brothers and sisters. That's what part of missions is. Warn people there's a Christ coming, there is a judge coming. And you need to bow your knee before him now instead of on that day when you're forced to bow your knee before him and then separate it from the sheep and sent to eternal damnation. There is a king coming and David reminds them of this. Verse 11 and 12 is right out of Romans. You can find it right out of Romans 8. And, and here he's saying, let the heavens re be glad and let the earth rejoice, let the seas roar and let, the, let all that it contains, let the field exult and all that is in it. Then let all the trees of the forest and they will sing for joy. And in Romans chapter 8, he says, the creation groans for the return of Christ. Jesus rides in on the, on the Sunday or probably the Monday before his death. We call it Palm Sunday. And the Pharisees are saying, tell your, tell your people to be quiet. They can't say this about you. He says, if I quiet them, the rocks will sing out. I think it's just practice. Those rocks are getting ready to sing. When the Savior comes, and he releases the creation from its sin-bound restrictions that the world has right now. See, we're all about save the earth and change your light bulbs. God says, I've cursed the earth and I'm going to release that someday and it's going to sing of me. So, yes, we need to be good stewards of the world. That's good. We should do those things. But we've got to remember this world is curse-stricken. You've got aphids on your roses because of Adam's sin. But those roses want to sing and they already do, don't they? When you look at them and go, man, I was made by God. <laughs> So there's a judge coming. And you and I, when we support missions, when we either send or we go, the message that we're sending is, he's coming. He's coming. Do you know Jesus? See, this is missions. And, and we find it here in the middle of an ark coming back into Jerusalem. Isn't that beautiful? Will you engage with us in missions? Lord Jesus... It's so easy to preach about you. It's so easy to hold you high and see your splendor and your glory, Lord. You truly are the word. And, you, and, and like John said, we too can say, we have beheld your glory. The glory of the only begotten. We've seen God because of you, Jesus. You have completely revealed him to us and we don't need to see another. But Lord, as we say that, we look around the world and we hear mission reports and we realize that the majority of people who presently breathe on this earth right now don't know you. And evil seems to have its way. Lord, I pray that you would prick our hearts in such a way that we would be men and women who pray, boys and girls who pray for missions and our missionaries, 
Seek opportunity to sell things and give to you, to give above so that your word will go out, Lord. Father, we get captured in such temporal things here. Our homes, our jobs, these things are so important to us, Lord. And yet, Lord, when we step back and we take a few moments as we've done today that there is a greater plan that you want the nations told of your glory, Lord. We begin to want to trust you with our stuff. So I pray, Lord, that Grace Bible Church will not be a church that talks about it or just has some missionaries hanging in a back corner somewhere, Lord, on a picture. But we would really, truly engage in missions. This is the commission of the church, Lord. Church is not about us. It is about what we receive and take and go and do it with, do with it, Lord. So I pray that we would not be just takers from the church, Lord. Coming and I go here because I get this and I get that, Lord. Lord, we would see ourselves a part of something so much greater. Someday, Lord, and that Revelation 5 passage is going to come to fulfillment, and we're going to be there, linked arms with these brothers and sisters around the world, and we are going to sing that new song together. And we will sing to the tops of our uh, newly refined angelic voices, Lord. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain, for he is due glory and honor. So, Lord, prepare us for that. Help us think missional lord and not just around the world lord not just filling a box and sending some stuff but lord our neighbors need christ our our co-workers our friends the person on the street that waitress that we meet in the coffee shop give us boldness to tell of the greatness of our god and savior let us engage in missions lord father thank you for this message this morning May it not be just heard, but may it be lived. We pray this in Jesus' name.